Good evening and welcome to our Bible study series. We are continuing in the series entitled Reasons to Believe. We are continuing along now. We're still in part six entitled Fulfilled Prophecy. And for those of you that are just joining, uh, you can listen in both by telephone or on the internet. We broadcast through MixLR.com, and the broadcaster name is New Life Ministries. So that's MixLR.com, and just look for New Life Ministries, all one word. Also, all of these studies are recorded and they're put onto our church website, which is new-life-ministries.org, and just look for the audio messages. Also, the notes for all of these studies are available there. You can either download them and print them, or you can view them through the website. All right, we want to move right along tonight. We are looking at fulfilled prophecy, <clears throat> and more specifically, last time we began to look at what I believe is the most important aspect of this uh, study, and that's messianic prophecy. Over 300 specific predictions and prophecies are found in the Old Testament scriptures, which the Jewish people knew very well, uh, that spoke of a coming Messiah, a, a chosen one, an anointed one, different terms were used, but the Jewish people very well understood that all of these Old Testament prophecies were pointing to the future, to someone who would come and deliver them, save them, be their king, be their judge, be their ruler, etc. And the possibility of somebody mistakenly fulfilling all 300 of these predictions and not truly being the Messiah are next to zero. In other words, it's mathematically impossible that someone could pull off a major hoax and fulfill all of these different predictions and yet not be the one that God had been speaking about for hundreds and hundreds of years. Bottom line, this is one of the most convincing proofs in the scriptures that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And we have mentioned already in this study that over 90 of these Old Testament prophecies, Messianic prophecies, are specifically quoted in the New Testament by the New Testament writers and in every case, they are pointing to Jesus and showing us, in Jesus, these prophecies were fulfilled. Ninety specific predictions that Jesus fulfilled and are quoted for us in the New Testament. Of those ninety, we are going to look at about sixty. I know that sounds like a lot, but... I believe it's important that we see the overwhelming volume of evidence in the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled to a T every single prediction that was made by the Old Testament prophets concerning this coming Messiah. And last week, we looked at a number of prophecies that dealt with the birth and the lineage of the Messiah. Very specific details were given about where he would be born, how he would be born, what family line he would come from. And without going through all of that again, 
we can actually trace the thread all the way back to Genesis 3, the very chapter where Adam and Eve sinned and fell from grace. There, God began to speak about this coming Messiah. And in Genesis 3.15, we saw God actually told the serpent, Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. An amazing prediction that would take centuries and centuries to be fulfilled, but it actually speaks of several aspects of Messiah's life and his death. He would be the seed of a woman. So this was not some angelic deliverer. This would be a human-born Messiah, and Satan would bruise his heel. Uh, One of the first, actually it is the first of many prophecies concerning the suffering and the crucifixion of the Messiah. Here there's a hint at that in the bruising of his heel, but he would bruise the serpent's head, a complete victory, a complete triumph over the serpent who had tempted Adam and Eve and caused them to fall into sin. And we saw that it was predicted he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah gave that prophecy. Matthew confirmed it in his gospel that Jesus was indeed born of a virgin, that he would come through the tribe of Judah, down through the family line of Jesse, and eventually the family of David. And he would be called both son of God and son of David. And we want to move right into a new section tonight. And this part of Messianic prophecy, we're titling Prophecies Concerning the Messiah's nature. Who exactly would this Messiah be? What would he be like? And we find a number of things were prophesied in the Old Testament. And again, one right after the other, Jesus fulfilled 100% with 100% accuracy. Number one in this list, Messiah would be eternal and pre-existent. So, this is the mystery of what we normally call incarnation, that the Word of God was going to become flesh. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but it's difficult for us to wrap our little human brains around such lofty concepts. But Messiah... Although he was born of a virgin, born into this world as a human being, fully human, a mortal human being who would suffer death on the cross, nevertheless, he is also eternal and pre-existent. By pre-existent, we mean he existed even before that virgin birth. And the best way to introduce this, although I certainly can't explain it, and I'm not sure I fully understand it, but the best way to introduce it is to look at some scripture. And we've already looked at this verse uh, last week in connection with the birthplace of Messiah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Here we saw that it was predicted the Messiah would be of Judah and he would be born in a very obscure town called Bethlehem. Out of all the towns in in Israel, this was the one pinpointed as the birthplace of the Messiah. But returning to that scripture again tonight, we see something even more amazing about Micah's prediction. 
Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And I'm reading from the New King James Version on this particular verse. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet the one out of you shall come forth to me to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So, three points we can see here. Number one, this Messiah, who would be ruler in Israel, was coming out of Bethlehem. He was coming from Judah, from the tribe of Judah. But thirdly, and the second part of the verse is what we want to zero in on tonight, yet the one, and in New King James, I think they get it right, one is capitalized, yet the one out of you shall come forth to me, me is capitalized, so this is God speaking, and one is going to come out of Bethlehem for God to be ruler, ruler is also capitalized, to be ruler in Israel. But here's the part that really gets interesting. This ruler, who was coming forth out of Bethlehem, through the tribe of Judah, this ruler, we are told, his goings forth are from of old. Well, how old? A hundred years? A thousand years? Older. From everlasting. And in the Hebrew, I don't have time to go into the Hebrew construction here, there's no other way to translate this. It's a human-born ruler coming out of Judah, born in Bethlehem, but really, he's everlasting. From everlasting, that's why we are saying he's both eternal and pre-existent. Long before he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, Messiah existed. And he's pre-existent because he has no beginning and he has no end. From everlasting. And I think you're going to notice in a lot of these scriptures that we're looking at tonight, we're confronted with the mystery of the Messiah. He would be born, but he's actually everlasting. That's, that's a tough one for us to process with our human brains because we're trapped in time. God lives outside of time. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And one way that it's sometimes expressed is Jesus stepped into time when he was born in Bethlehem. But that's not when his existence began. He was eternally pre-existent. And the next verse is equally mysterious, a well-known verse, which we often sing and hear about at Christmas time, at the birth of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Clearly, a messianic prophecy, and of course Handel's Messiah uh, deals with a lot of the truth contained in these two verses. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Okay, so here again, a child is to be born. This is going to be a human-born Messiah. A son is to be given, 
But we also notice the emphasis on this child, this son, eventually becoming ruler. The government will be on his shoulders. But here's where it gets more mysterious. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's this strange paradox, this pairing of seemingly opposite things. A child will be born, but he's an everlasting father. If you can figure that one out, uh, send me an email with your explanation. This is a mystery. He would be born, but he's actually everlasting. He would be born of a virgin, but he's actually mighty God. So, the mystery of the Incarnation is, of course, hinted at in both of these prophecies, in that the eternal God, God the Son, would step into time, be born of a woman, be fully human, but fully God. And it goes on in verse 7 to talk more about his rulership, his, his reign, his government, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Notice it also ties this Messiah with David and with David's throne. He would be son of David, sitting on the throne of his father, David. Nevertheless, <coughs> he is eternal and pre-existent, mighty God, everlasting Father. When we come to the New Testament, I think John summarizes this better than any of the other gospel writers, because none of them even try to explain this. But in John 1.1, we have the very familiar passage, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So this isn't just some inanimate, impersonal word. This word is a he. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And of course, in verse 14, John finally ties it all together, and he says, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in the context, it's very clear. He's saying Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. Jesus is the eternally preexistent Word of God, He is God, He was with God, and He became human flesh. And again, this is the mystery of what we call incarnation, the Word becoming flesh, eternal God becoming mortal flesh. John uh, continues in this same line, a little further along, in John chapter 8, a passage we have looked at previously in this study, but it's good to look at again. John 8, verses 56 to 58. 
where Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees about Abraham. And in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is saying Abraham rejoiced just at the thought of seeing my day. Well, what does that mean? Verse 57, You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Here's Jesus' response. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Not I was, I am. Because he's the eternal pre-existent one. He is, I am. And finally, on this section of the Messiah being eternal and pre-existent, we see in Colossians chapter 1, where Paul is referring to Jesus being the Christ, being the Messiah, he writes these words, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version, Colossians 1 and verse 17. And he himself, that's Jesus, existed before all things, and in him all things consist, cohere, and are held together. I like that. He himself existed before all things, and in him all things consist, cohere, and are held together. You know, it's amazing, and I don't want to get too technical here, but when scientists get down to the atomic level of matter, and they begin to look at the protons and the neutrons and the electrons, and what is the stuff that matter is really made of, uh, you are confronted with some amazing mysteries that are hard to understand and explain. And again, without making it real complicated, I think if you remember a little bit of your science, the atom is basically made up of three parts. It's more complicated than that, but to try and keep it simple here, it has a nucleus, a dense nucleus that is made up of positively charged particles called protons and neutral particles that have no charge called neutrons. And then orbiting around that dense positively charged nucleus, you have negatively charged particles called electrons. Well, in electricity and in magnetism and anything related to those two fields, there's a law that like charges repel and unlike charges attract. So positive and negatives attract. Positive and positive, repel. Negative and negative, repel. And if you look at the basic structure of an atom with these neutral particles and positive particles in the nucleus, and then negatively charged particles uh, orbiting around that nucleus, there are a couple of things that don't make any sense. First of all, why are all of these positively charged particles not repelling each other in the nucleus? They should. They should be pushing 
each other apart and the whole atom would break apart. Even more disturbing than that is you have this nucleus with a positive charge and you have negatively charged electrons that are orbiting around that nucleus. Why don't the electrons get attracted to the positively charged nucleus and they all just stick together in one clump? Well, physicists, they really can't explain what keeps this thing from either flying apart or sticking together, and so they've come up with a term. They call it the strong nuclear force. That's what holds the atom together. And I tell my science students, uh, the strong nuclear force is actually Colossians 1.17. It's God. More specifically, it's Christ. He himself is holding everything together. That, that mysterious force that overcomes even these uh, laws of like and unlike charges, that force is actually the power of God. And to me, it's an overwhelming proof that God made everything and he's holding everything together. And if it weren't for God holding it together, it would all break apart and become a big mess. My point here, coming back to Colossians 1.17, Paul says Jesus is that pre-existent one. He himself existed before all things. And let me just insert here, Jesus existed long before he was born to the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. Yes, he was born, a child will be born, a son will be given, but he existed long before that, eternally, from everlasting. He came forth to be ruler in Israel. All right, let's move on to a second aspect of Messiah's nature and see if Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. It was written in the Old Testament that Messiah would be Lord. Psalm 110 and verse 1 is probably the clearest messianic prophecy concerning the fact that Messiah would be called Lord. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord. Now you got to follow the grammar here. One Lord is speaking to another Lord. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We understand, of course, it's God the Father speaking to God the Son. Both God the Father and God the Son are referred to as Lord. Now, you may remember in one of his exchanges with the Pharisees, Jesus refers to this very passage. And of course, he's hinting at the fact that he is that Lord. Look with me in Matthew 22 from verse 41 to 45. Matthew 22, 41 to 45. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Remember, Christ is a synonym for Messiah. What do you think about Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. Notice, they all understood 
that Messiah had to come through David. The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Here again, we're getting into this mystery of Christ being born of a woman, but also the eternal Lord. How can he be son of David, and yet David calls his son Lord? For he says, and now he's quoting what we just read from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? That's the mystery. He is son and he is Lord. We see also in Luke chapter 2 and numerous other verses in the New Testament that confirm for us that indeed Jesus is Lord of all. But this one, I think, will suffice. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus. Luke 2, 10 and 11. But the angels said to them, the shepherds who were in the field, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He's Messiah the Lord. And we know, of course, this child that was born in the town of David in Bethlehem is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. A third point that we find in the Old Testament prophecies concerning this coming Messiah, he would be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And this is in the same passage where we are told that he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This again presents to us the mystery of the Incarnation, that God, eternal, mighty God, was becoming human flesh, born of a woman, but miraculously born of a virgin. Matthew, who often points out how Jesus fulfilled these specific Old Testament prophecies, he shows in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus did indeed fulfill every aspect of Isaiah 7, verse 14. Matthew 1, verses 21 to 23. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So very clearly, Matthew puts it all on the line here. 
He says, Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. Number one, he's born of a virgin. Number two, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Not just a human baby, but God coming to dwell with man. The next one's extremely important. This is point number four in this list of different aspects of Messiah's nature. Who he would be, what he would be like. And the fourth one we want to look at is it was prophesied in the Old Testament that this Messiah would be called the prophet. Now there were numerous prophets in the Old Testament, but this is different. Every Jewish person who knew the Old Testament scriptures, they understood that there was the prophet coming. Different from Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they were all looking for the prophet. And this goes all the way back to Moses. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 19. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. Now, Moses was himself a prophet. But notice what he is saying in this passage. The Lord your, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. Very clearly, this Messiah would be a Jewish prophet. But the Lord will raise up for you a prophet, a very special prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. The Lord said to me, I'm jumping down to verse 17, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. You find in a number of places in the New Testament, when the crowds of Jewish people saw Jesus, they witnessed his miracles, his healings, they heard his words and his teachings, repeatedly they referred to Jesus as the prophet. Not just a prophet, but they repeatedly confirmed this is the prophet that Moses predicted. Let me show you three instances of this. First one is in Matthew 21, verses 10 and 11. Matthew 21, 10 and 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth, in Galilee. This is Jesus, the prophet. It's a little clearer in the next passage. These next two are both found in the Gospel of John. John 6 and verses 13 and 14. After he fed the multitude with a few loaves and fish, John 6, verse 13 says, So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, 
Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Very clear. They're connecting the dots between Deuteronomy 18 and Jesus of Nazareth. This is the prophet who is to come. And John chapter 7 and verse 40. On hearing his words, that's Jesus' words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. So, Old Testament predicted Messiah would be the prophet. Jesus comes, the crowds, when they see his miracles, when they hear his teaching, together they answer, this is Jesus the prophet. Number five in our list, Messiah would also be priest. He would be prophet and he would be priest. We turn again to Psalm 110, which I think I gave you a list of some of the Psalms which are commonly understood to be Messianic Psalms. Psalm 110 is one of them. We just quoted verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Then in verse 4, we find that Messiah would be Lord and priest. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So, Messiah would be prophet. He would also be an eternal priest. Priest forever. Not after the order of Levi. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant law, only those from the tribe of Levi could serve as priests. Remember, Jesus was not a Levite. He came from the tribe of Judah. And the writer of Hebrews puts all this together very succinctly in two verses. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. And it points very directly to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 4. Hebrews 5 and verse 5. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And further along in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the fact that Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. Rather, he came from the tribe of Judah, and he was not a priest after the order of Levi, but a priest after the order of Melchizedek, just as it was prophesied in Psalm 110. We come to a sixth point concerning the nature of Messiah. Remember, if Jesus is truly Messiah, he has to fulfill not just a couple of these, but every single one of them. He would have to be prophet, priest, and all the other things that we've been listing. The sixth one, and we've already touched on this in some of the verses that we've read, he would be judge. Messiah would be prophet, priest, and also judge. We turn once again to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11. Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. And this also 
ties together the fact that Messiah would come through Jesse and ultimately through David, but that he would also be judge. Here we go. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Very clear reference to the fact that Messiah would serve and function in the role of judge. In John's Gospel, we see that Jesus once again fulfilled that prophecy. John chapter 5, from verse 22 to 30. And this is actually Jesus himself claiming and declaring that his father had made him judge, had entrusted all judgment into his hands. John 5, from verse 22. Moreover, the father judges no one. He has entrusted all judgment to the son. Jumping down to verse 27. And he has given him authority to judge. You have to have authority if you're going to be a judge. You and I may have great discernment skills. We may have wonderful judgment abilities, but we're not going to judge any court cases unless we have the authority as a judge. Well, God the Father entrusted all judgment to Jesus. He gave him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. I know you know I'm going to ask this. What does all mean? All. All who are in their graves, every human being, who has ever lived and died, all are going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a shock that's going to be for the atheists who built their whole life around a lie and a myth, trying to say that God doesn't exist, there's no such thing as Jesus Christ. Well, they're going to hear his voice in the grave. When all who are in their graves hear his voice and come out, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The next point we come to is also extremely important. Many, many prophecies. We're just going to look at a handful. This Messiah, we've already read, would be ruler. He was coming to reign. Government was going to be on his shoulders. He would be called king. Now, in the Old Testament, you don't find anyone who was a prophet 
a priest, and a king. Now, King David, of course, was a type and a shadow of the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. David was a king. He functioned in some ways as a priest. You remember he put on the ephod that was to be worn only by a priest. He ate the showbread, which was food only for the priests to eat. He set up his own tabernacle and basically sat in the most holy place with the Ark of the Covenant. So he foreshadowed the fact that Messiah would be both a king and a priest, and David was a prophet. Many of his psalms, uh, one that we've just referred to, Psalm 110, was penned by David. It is prophetic. He's called a prophet in the Bible. But only Messiah would literally be prophet, priest, judge, and king. Psalm 2, verses 6 and 7. This is also a messianic psalm. Psalm 2. God is speaking here through the mouth of David. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. God the Father speaking concerning the Son. He says, I have installed my son as king on Zion. And just a side note, uh, he wasn't elected by a democratic vote. Nobody voted Jesus in, and nobody's going to vote him out. God the Father installed him as king of all kings, Lord of all lords. In Matthew 27, verse 37, this was literally fulfilled even in his crucifixion, where despite the pleas of the Jews not to do it, you remember Pilate had a plaque written and nailed above Jesus' head on the cross, and here's what it read. Matthew 27, verse 37. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And in John's Gospel, we actually read about this exchange between Pilate and Jesus concerning this very fact that Jesus is king. John 18, starting with verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom, note those words, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Verse 37. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, 
for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. How ironic that even wicked Pontius Pilate affirms the fact that Jesus is king. We're going to look at one more, and we'll have to cut it off here tonight. This is my favorite one. Of all the ones that we've listed, we come to point number eight. Messiah would be known as the Anointed One. And actually, the word Christ, the way we use it, refers to this very fact. It's the Anointed One. And I think I've mentioned to you, before I got saved, I thought Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name. Like John Smith, Jesus Christ. No, Jesus doesn't have a last name. He's just Jesus. But various titles are ascribed to that name Jesus. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He's Jesus Lord, Jesus Savior, or Jesus Christ. Christ meaning the Anointed One. And all this refers back to Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And the fulfillment of this is really one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And regardless of how many times I've taught on this, preached on it, studied it, I get goosebumps every time I read this. It's so powerful. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 16. Right after Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, praying, battling with the devil, resisting temptation, the Bible tells us he came up out of the desert, out of the wilderness, full of the Spirit, full of the power of God. And he goes into the synagogue. And we pick it up in verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Just a coincidence, right? Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Notice he knew the scriptures very well. He knew where to find the scripture that he wanted to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and we just read it. He's reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, that was a nice reading. Thank you, Jesus. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. We use the expression, you could hear a needle 
or a pin drop. There was electricity in the air. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Man, oh man, is that powerful or what? What Isaiah wrote 600 years ago is being fulfilled right here today in your hearing and in your eyes. I am that anointed one. I am that Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because remember, a little over 40 days prior to this, he was baptized by John in the River Jordan. The Holy Spirit came down. He was filled with the Spirit, and now he's coming in the fullness of that anointing. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He would be prophet, he would be priest, he would be judge, and he would be king. Jesus fulfilled them all. He would be eternal, eternally pre-existent, the eternal word of God that would become flesh, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, but called by his father to be ruler in Israel. And we'll close it here tonight, and we've got a few more points to make in this list of just who would this Messiah be? What would he be like? What are the different attributes or qualities that they would be looking for in the Messiah? He would be eternal, he would be Lord, he would be Emmanuel, he would be prophet, priest, judge, king, and anointed one. Praise God, Jesus is all of the above. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you tonight for Jesus. I thank you that he has fulfilled every word, every prediction, every prophecy of Isaiah, of Micah, of Moses, of David, and all the other prophets. He is the eternal word of God, become flesh, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah, son of David, but called to be king, Lord, Christ, judge, and great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. God, we're left without excuse. We cannot deny the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We praise you, we worship you, we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We ask Jesus to be our Savior, to save us from all of our sins, to be our deliverer, to deliver us from bondage, that that anointing that is upon him would break every yoke off of our lives, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God, I pray for everyone on this phone line tonight, everyone listening through the internet, or even those who will listen to this Bible study in some future time 
through the recordings that uh, are placed there. I pray that the assurance and the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come into each and every heart that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of David, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Father, we praise, worship, and magnify you tonight. God bless each one now. Keep us as the apple of your eye. Keep us living and abiding under that same anointing for the same Spirit that anointed Jesus, the same Spirit that raised him from the dead, has now come to dwell in each one of us. Keep us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.